Good evening. Welcome to another episode of Talk Gnosis After Dark. We are continuing our discussion on the Kabbalah and the Gospel of Thomas, being joined by Bishop Kaiser. How are you, Bishop? I'm fine, thanks. Fascinating show we were having uh, during our video show, so I would encourage any of our uh, podcast listeners, if they haven't watched that, definitely get into that as kind of a preview of this show, because I think uh, you were touching some pretty fascinating uh, things. As usual, also being joined by Bishop Peterson, as well as Father Tony. Greetings, you guys. How are you? Hello. Father Tony, I'm going to throw it on your court like we usually do in the beginning, because usually you're taking notes. Anything that you want to ask uh, uh, Bishop Kaiser uh, regarding uh, some of the things we were discussing on our video show? Well, actually, I want to ask something on behalf of one of our viewers who posted a comment to our Facebook okay. page as we were fantastic uh, as we were wrapping up there. Um, uh, we uh, Dominic uh, Carlucci has that uh, asked about your. Um, your comment about Bishop Spong and um, how you mentioned that he was uh, he was uh, accurate about the um, the translation of, of certain uh, biblical passages. Could you go in, into some more detail about that? Uh, yeah, uh, Bishop Spong is one of the few clergy who cares about what's uh, about the the truth of what's in the <laughs> the Christian Bible. The, the Christian Bible has been investigated by very smart scientists. They're biblical critics. They're they they're despised by the fundamentalists because they don't uh, because the fundamentalists think that the Bible is was written by God and every word in it is literally true and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Bishop Spong was has kept up on biblical scholarship, so he understands uh, what the Gospels are and how they were written and how they differ. And he understands how things, for example, Spong came up with something that, that I noticed myself, that uh, the, the tradition of Judas betraying Jesus doesn't even come into the Jesus traditions until about 80, 85. When Paul says, uh, people translate it in the Episcopal Church, they say, uh, and on, on the night that he was betrayed, well, the Greek word, verb is not betrayed, it's just arrested. There's no mention of a betrayal of Jesus or of Yeshua until you get to, you know, Luke and the and Matthew and the, the last part of the first century. So the idea of that comes in when uh, the Gentile churches are really distancing themselves from the Jewish Christians, uh, especially after AD 70 when the siege of Jerusalem had occurred and the, and the Romans were really down on the Jews. And... Uh, and the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians had uh, been at loggerheads about the issue of uh, the Jewish Christians were saying things like you've got to become a Jew in order to become a Christian, you know, that business. And so the Jews were, Jewish Christians were obnoxious also. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, the Gentile Christians became really quite anti-Semitic. And if you know anything about uh, that, that whole bit. So Judas, the name Judas means Jew. It just is the word Jew. So have they, they have the Jew betraying Jesus and all these stories about Judas, uh, uh, you know, they, they popped into the Jesus traditions very late, just like the physical resurrection popped into the resurrection tradition very late, the, Jew, the Jesus traditions. You have to understand how these develop, you know, legends and, and history. There, nobody's there with a tape recorder. 
There's only mm-hmm. memories to remember what Yeshua said. And uh, the idea that he was betrayed by someone uh, is not something you will find in the earliest literature. You don't find anything about it in the earliest parts of the Didache, which are also very early, in the Q source or in the Aramaic uh, uh, parts of the, the Aramaic uh, uh, core of the Gospel of Thomas. You don't find it in Paul. Uh, you don't find it until about the time of Mark. And uh, so <laughs> uh, it's, it's you know, one and a half, two generations later that that thing. And Spong noticed that. Spong noticed that. And he, uh, and, and he was the first person, I think, that actually put out that observation maybe about 34 years ago. I never saw it. I just noticed it myself, you know. And then I found out that Spong had talked about it. But Spong represents a form of Christianity he calls progressive Christianity, which I like very much. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a dog in this particular fight, but where do you weigh in on the mythicist controversy, the idea that there was no person, Yeshua, there was no person uh, who the Jesus legend is based on. That is something that continually pops up and it seems to be in a cycle right now. Yeah, and there was no Gautama Buddha and there was no, uh, you know, hey, that's a bunch of bullshit, folks. That, that, that was started by back in the early part of the 19th century by the people who put forth the idea of uh, Jesus as Christ as a solar myth. Well, they're correct because the, the Jesus of the New Testament is a myth. And it's got a lot of elements of other kinds of Hellenistic mythology and everything else. But the real Jesus, the real Yeshua, uh, is an entirely different thing. It's like Buddha. You know, there are all kinds of legends you can find about Buddha, but he was a real guy. And he had real teachings, and they were transmitted by disciples. And that's why I spend so much time recovering the uh, pre-Christian teachings of Yeshua, because he was a real guy. He was a really fantastic uh brilliant spiritual teacher. Absolutely. Father Tony, do you have anything more? I know you have good stuff usually. Yeah. Um, I read your book a number of years back, the, you know, the Kabbalistic words of Jesus. Um, and one thing that I found fascinating about that was there was a, uh, you talked a lot about the, 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 the tradition that Jesus would have come from, you know, the, the mystical Jewish tradition um, could you tell your, our listeners about uh, about that community and what they might have been doing and how the how the teachings of the Gospel of Thomas relate? Okay, well, it's not a community. Uh, you know, the, the all the people who were educated and who were part of the royalty were snatched uh, and taken over to Babylon in the sixth century BC. So that it's like taking out all the scientists and all the everything you know out of the country. And they developed uh, the, the, the highest Jewish culture and all the, uh, the, it, that existed in the Hellenistic world existed in Babylon. And that's where the scriptures were assembled and they were redacted and edited and new scriptures were written. The last two-thirds of the uh, prophet Isaiah were written there. The uh, book of Ezekiel, all the Enochian literature, the apocalyptic literature, literature, the Danielic literature, and all that stuff. And it's there that they developed uh, what we call, I call Kabbalistic, but there are other terms for it. These are interpretations of scripture in which you go use lots of methods to get behind the scripture 
to get higher knowledge out of the scripture as done allegorically and typologically and lots of other things. And all that wisdom was being collected. For example, by two centuries before Yeshua, the, the story of the construction, it's not creation, it's the construction of Adam, humanity, Adam, by the Elohim acting, Yahweh acting through the Elohim, um, uh, uses uh, terms that became totally fascinated to people who were interpreters. So the Genesis stories became the basis for a lot of Kabbalistic speculation and talks. And this was not written down, although we find traces of it in lots of places, but there is transmitted orally. That's what Kabbalah is. And, but it's written down later in the Babylonian Talmud and the Talmudic literature, um, and also in the, uh, the Targums, the Aramaic Targums, which were translated from Hebrew into Aramaic, although the two languages were almost identical in lots of ways, and especially the language of them, for reading in synagogues, had all kinds of commentaries and things attached to them. And, and one of the things is that the word, when it says that Yeshua, um, that, the, that the Elohim constructed, the word uh, to construct is Yetzer. And they, but they put it in the, in the, in the script with two Yods instead of one, Ya Yetzer. Because the concept of the, of the Kabbalistic teaching was that uh, there were, that Adam was created with two images. The image of the divine image, which was the Yetzer HaTov, and the the sort of reflex image, the shadow image, which when you go from perfection into duality, it requires that 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 there be an equal and opposite reaction, so to speak. And so the Yetzer Hara, and and modern Jewish people still say prayers to to save them. But these are the two impulses of the heart. Uh, it's very much like. Uh, it's not unsimilar to Plato's idea of the uh, of the motion to the left and the motion to the right, uh, uh, or of the of the two horses drawing a chariot, or different kinds of things like that. And um, that you can't understand what Yeshua was talking about when he talks about being in Greek disekoi, which means having two souls, literally two uh, impulses, or he talks about the evil thoughts of the heart or the good thoughts of the heart, or the treasury of the heart, things that are stored in the heart. These are, this is the location of the two creations, the two uh, formations. And there's all kinds of stuff like that, that Christianity doesn't know anything about, but Judaism does. Uh, and um, a lot of things that Judaism has done away with too. For example, Gilgal, which is the cycles, reincarnation. Mm -hmm. That was a common teaching. And it's implied in several of the teachings of Yeshua, uh, and the process of death and the six bodies, the uh, uh, of, uh, that a person has and, and goes through, and all this sort of thing. Uh, there's just so much more information. A lot of it makes it down to the medieval period and gets written into the Zohar. But then the guy who wrote the Zohar put a lot of his own stuff in too. <laughs> so seems to be uh, catching. Yeah, yeah, that happens. <laughs> So anyway, that you can't really talk about a community. You can have to talk about the the Jewish ideas that were not just literal biblical ideas like 
Protestants try to have, you know, and Catholics do. But um, you go to Philo of Alexandria, who was contemporary with Yeshua. If you want to understand what he's talking about when he talks about the five trees of paradise, not the two trees in paradise. You go to Philo of Alexandria to understand a lot of things like that. You go to the wisdom schools to understand what Yeshua is talking about when he says, be ye passers-by. He's uh, talking about the, the, the Hebrew concept of kihesh, which means to be unattached. Don't be attached. It came out of the Hebrew experience of being driven from place to place, first by Hammurabi out of the city of Ur, which became Babylon, and then migrating north in the Euphrates river valleys and so on, and traveling like nomads. And always be prepared to uh, abandon what you have and move on. Uh, you find uh, teachings like um, shakan, which is a form of meditation that's done, uh, single-pointed meditation. It's done on mountaintops. Mm -hmm. And that appears in, in a lot of the writings and a lot of directions about it. You find the whole Merkaba tradition, which is the ascent into the ten heavens. Uh, Yeshua obviously is speaking out of the Enochian tradition of the Ten Heavens, which was part of the Merkaba tradition, when he says, this heaven will pass away, and the heaven above it will pass away, but the others will not pass away. And these are the eternal heavens. This is the Olam uh, of the Abba. Uh, when Yeshua talks about God, he doesn't talk about a father. The, it was translated into Greek as pater, father, but the word was Abba referred to God as the Abba, as did two other very famous healers and miracle workers from Galilee, one of whom was Honi, the drawer of circles, who was able to bring water. He referred to God as the Abba, Yeshua did, and uh, a later disciple of uh, Yohanan ben Zakkai, just a, bit, a little bit later than Yeshua, always referred to God as the Abba, and he was able to make rain and do long-distance healing and things Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, James, uh, Jacob, who was called Jacob Hazadik, J J uh, James the Just, Hazadik was a perfect saint. Uh, he, what he did is he spent his time on his knees praying in front of the temple that God would withhold the karma that was going to come down to all the, the uh, religious uh, establishment for selling out to the Romans and and. and polluting and uh, the temple and all this. He said that, that this Jerusalem, Jesus, Yeshua had prophesied that Jerusalem would be destroyed and the temple would be destroyed. And uh, of course it was, but it was about two generations later that that happened. But his followers, he gave the signs to, these fo to his followers of what to do. And before the city was besieged, when nobody could get out and people starved for years and had to eat each other's dead bodies, uh, they left. The Christian, the, the, the Jewish Christian community left. They went north. They left some of the writings and at least one of the caves at not how, at, uh, at and then where we got the Dead Sea Scrolls. There's a whole bunch of caves over there. And uh, they survived out in the desert and in different places. And they were, in fact, the people that Muhammad has his contacts with when he were the, the surviving Jewish Christian remnants that really came from Jerusalem. And uh, James was also famous for being able to bring rain because he was a saint. And um, so there's a whole lot of tradition behind that. And then you can read the Talmudic literature and you can read the 
sayings of the fathers. There's all kinds of stuff. You know, if you want to learn about it, you go to the Jewish Encyclopedia online and 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 do something like uh, search for Jewish Gnosis. Great articles written by Jewish scholars that know about all that stuff back there. So, um, you mentioned the Merkaba traditions, and you mentioned in the video show the, that the transfiguration, so-called, is, is actually a Merkaba experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, you think that Jesus was teaching Merkaba to the disciples? That was part of what this teaching yeah. is? Yeah. In fact, uh, this fellow that we were talking about, uh, so what is Stephen, uh, what's his name? Davies. Davies. Yeah. Uh, he's he's written. I haven't read his stuff, uh, but I've read about it because uh, before I came on the show, I wanted to make sure I knew something about other translators. And, <laughs> and I really like what he's written. He basically uh, posited that Yeshua had the ability to bring other people into uh, a trance state and do things like this. So he obviously gets it and understands it. But yeah, Yeshua did. The Merkaba, the Merkaba tradition in in Phariseeism, was that you don't talk, you never talked about it. And uh, when there are three gathered together, you don't talk about it. When there are two, you don't. If you're only when there is a person who has discovered the whole thing on his own and gives you a clue, can you talk with him privately about it? You know. Well, Yeshua did something a little different. He guided his own initiates into. Merkaba experiences into uh, visionary experiences that took them into the we call them the the, the Shemayim, the heavens, but they're, they're, they're levels of consciousness that go more deeply into uh, reality than we are. And then so it's, it's you know based on allegorical uh, things and so on. But he was a person who was very that, that apparently was able to do that. So initiation, uh, you know, in John's Gospel, you find, uh, which is written very late, you say, well, you know, uh, baptism, water baptism is not initiation. It's that you have to be baptized by the Spirit, and by fire and by the Spirit, or by, the Gnostics say, that baptism is an inferior form. The initiation comes through a chrism, a fire, because the Greek word for chrism uh, uh implies fire, the fire that's held in the oil. And uh, so uh, the uh, uh, Merkava tradition uh, was done a little differently, but Yeshua did it in the way that the the Hermeses, the teachers in the mysteries of Hermes Trismegistus did it. Now that was my my doctoral dissertation was a translation edition commentary on the initiation tractate of Hermes Trismegistus from Naghamadi, which is parallel to the much to the the sort of formalistic Greek one, uh, Corpus Hermeticum 13. But this one was an, a real initiation document. It was a copy of one, and it's dated. It has an astrological date or an astronomical date, and that date is A.D. 26. This is contemporary with Yeshua. He would have met or known or had some contact with hermetic uh, preachers and they would they would actually talk on the street and preach on the street and some people would reject him and some people would come down and beg for instruction. If you've ever read the hermetic literature, you know what I'm talking about. 
And uh, that was contemporary with Yeshua. Well, his means of bringing his disciples into the experience of the Agdoad, the eighth heaven, was very similar to how that was done by Hermes and the so-called son, the person who was being initiated. So there's, it's not a off-the-wall tradition. <laughs> it's uh, quite, it, it is, there was a lot of stuff going on uh, back in those days, and probably he would have run into those people uh, in Sepphoris, where he and his father had worked as stonemasons. His father was not a carpenter. There, were, there was no wood anywhere in Nazareth or anywhere like that. They worked with stone. So uh, Yeshua was a stonemason, and he was probably initiated. Uh, you find in his, uh, the stone, all the masons of that period had a threefold system, uh, just like you do in Freemasonry. You have, you know, an inner, uh, you have a, uh, uh, an entered apprentice and a fellow craft and a master. And you have the same thing among the Roman uh, guilds and the Greek guilds. And in the Jewish guild, there was no, there was no knowledge of uh, uh, stonemasonry, building temples and things. And so, you know, Solomon had to go out to other places to get people to build in his temple. But after they returned from, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah returned from uh, Babylon, uh, along came Zerubbabel. And he was the guy who instructed them. He was a Jew who, who had been trained, and he was the master of all the, uh, the people who became Jewish uh, stonemasons uh, for building temples and things like that, and homes and whatever. And if you look in the lineage attributed to Yeshua, you will find that his attributed to his father uh, in Matthew, you will find that Zerubbabel is one of his ancestors. And the first son in every one of those families would have been trained in that craft and that skill. And so Yeshua was probably, and they were religious guilds. They were not just, there was no such thing as secular stuff anywhere mm -hmm. there. You know? So they had their own kinds of uh, stuff. I, the, the novel I wrote called Yeshua, the Unknown Jesus, which is, you know, totally fiction, but based on what could have been from what we know, uh, has him... Uh, spending a lot of the so-called lost years in Babylon, where uh, because everything he talks about, the Son of Man is a Babylonian Messiah, not the not the uh, uh, Davidic Messiah that was that he was interpreted as being, uh, you know, by the Christians and so on. But he speaks about the Son of Man Messiah, the Bar Enosh, and. Uh, uh, that's a very different kind of Messiah. It's uh, it's a new humanity, basically, a new Adam, a second Adam. Paul refers to it as the second mm -hmm. Adam. What do you think happened to the um, the initiatic tradition that after Jesus died? Do you think that uh, do you think that was lost, or do you, did it continue in a different form? Uh, only Yeshua could do this. Could bring people up into the state. So what happened in Christianity and and, and in Jewish Christianity is that uh, uh, baptism became the initiatic ceremony. Now that's what not what it was for Yeshua. Yeshua was was doing the bab the, the baptism of John, which was a baptism of of teshuva. We we translate it as repentance. It doesn't mean repentance. It means uh, return. 
to God. People had a long preparation they had to do for baptism, uh, even for John the Baptist. It wasn't just something you walked in and did. And uh, so uh, the, in Christianity, they made baptism the initiation and people had to study at catechetical schools mm -hmm. for years before they could be baptized. And of course, the great catechetical school was the one that emerged in uh, uh, Alexandria that supposedly was rooted in the uh, established, supposedly, by the Mark, the disciple of Peter, who uh, supposedly wrote the Gospel of Mark, and he was the amanuensis of Peter, kept his notes. One of the most important discoveries that has happened was, was uh, is very recently by Morton Smith. Uh, of Columbia University, who passed away now, but uh, you know, a lot of old manuscripts were kept and not shared with the academic community by uh, monasteries in places like Greece. You know, the, uh, uh, the that were the kind of monasteries you have to uh, be lifted up many, many stories on some kind of a platform and then climb up into a cave. <laughs> no yeah. women are allowed. Well, they oh, have yeah, great libraries, and Morton Smith spent years establishing a trust and rapport with the abbot of this monastery that, that was founded a thousand years before and had all kinds of great stuff in it. And he found a palimpsest text. That means a text that had been, they ran out of paper, so they whitewashed it, covered it over it, and wrote something else on top of it. But he brought his photographic stuff, and he was able to photograph what was under it and translate it and put it out. We call it the Secret Gospel of Mark. Mm -hmm. And in the Secret Gospel of Mark, uh, we learn about the initiatic traditions that were carried on in Alexandria and what was read and things like that. So if you wanna, <laughs> that, that's one place where initiatic traditions were, were continued, but the Merkaba tradition, well, we know it was considered to be the highest form of experience uh, because Paul claims in in this very uh, diffident way to have experienced uh, an ascent to the third heaven and uh, that he heard things that were so ineffable he couldn't repeat them etc. Of course he doesn't say I did it he says I know a man who mm -hmm. and that because in Jewish tradition you don't talk about your experiences like that but uh, that would have been that would have really put him out with the Jewish Christians. <laughs> but uh, we know that that uh, to experience spontaneously a, a vision or an ascent uh, was the only way people uh, would have done it after Yeshua was gone because he was the one who brought his closest disciples into that experience. And if you read, I haven't read it, I've just read some quote, some excerpts from... Uh, uh, Stefan, uh, what's his name, last name again? Davies. Davies, yeah. Uh, he, he describes this process beautifully uh, uh, in the, the, the excerpts I've, re I've read from some of his books. So, you know, uh, it's, it's initiation was done by Yeshua. If you know anything about gurus and disciples and things like that, you know there are inner circles and there are outer circles mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. There are chelas and all that. 
and the teachings that are given to each person are different for each one. They're on all given the same. And, uh, you know, uh, you also know in an initiatic tradition like that, that, uh, uh, you know, when the guru is gone, <laughs> then the, the disciples uh, have experiences of him, visions of him. Uh, they try to communicate with them. Uh, they do uh, exercises, Indian, for example, in India, exercises of visualizing the face of the guru. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the way they telepathically get in tune with the guru. And even after death, we in the home temple, we have we take the uh, image, the face image from the Shroud of Turin, which I, after much investigation, I'm absolutely certain is absolutely authentic. And that is the face of Yeshua. And we use that as a means of uh, establishing closer communication with the spirit of Yeshua. Can you tell us something about the home temple? Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, I I went, I went to seminary in the Episcopal Church, mm -hmm. and after uh, graduating, I was teaching at UCSC. I mean, at yeah, UC, UC Santa Cruz in, in California, and uh, I'd had a lot of negative experiences with the Episcopal Church. <laughs> and Not I won't unusual. go well with, with with the people. It was very political. Okay. And the yeah. last the, the last one that really threw me off, I had been an advocate of ordaining women. Right. And I'd written articles about it. And so Bishop Myers of California and his wife came down to visit me in Ben Lomond, California, spent a whole day and he wanted me to uh, lay out the whole case for ordaining women, which I did. And he was mm -hmm. totally convinced, and his wife liked it very much. And then he went to the National Convention and ran as a candidate for a presiding bishop on an anti-women's ordination platform. Because That's it was awesome. the political, and, and it was that kind of stuff. So yeah. what I did is I finally resigned from the Episcopal Church, and I was um, consecrated as an independent bishop by fellow in California. And so what I did after that is I developed my own studies because if my if I had been in the Episcopal Church and tried to do the studies I had of, of Yeshua and, and pre-Christian things and all the other things I did, um, I would have been, uh, had a lot of problems. I would have gotten a lot of flack mm -hmm. back then. Now they ordain women, they have women bishops. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was the I was the first person to actually, the second person to actually uh, consecrate a woman bishop in California, which I did. Well, Barbara Marks Hubbard was one person that I consecrated mm -hmm. in Rosamond's in Rosamond's Chapel, and clandestinely, and uh, and then I I developed a whole training program for people because I was kind of disgusted with the fact that the independent bishops and clergy knew so little about their own tradition. They were just, mm -hmm. you, know, you know. So I started that in about 1998, developed a whole curriculum and I put it online. And I've been training people ever since. And I have students actually all over the world. Uh, uh, I've, uh, um, I'm going to make a tour around the world this year and stop to visit a lot of my students. And I have, that I've been training a long distance. They've been doing uh, various kinds of academic and spiritual studies and so on. So I have some bishops to make and some people to ordain all around. I mean, they're 
people in England and South America and Australia and uh, Europe and uh, across this country here. Sure. Uh, one of the people I think you mentioned, Bishop Tony in New York, is one of my almost one of my students. Yeah. Smart guy. He's a smart guy. He was history taught history at high school and he's did yeah. a beautiful thesis. They, in order to qualify, they have to be serving as a priest for uh, as a as a home priest. You know, as as in their own home, have their own services for two years at least, and showed shown uh, really good evidence of spiritual leadership. And then they have to do a whole course of studies, including some esoteric studies uh, and some esoteric that where they have to actually develop certain things. And that one of which is to be able to make it rain, which we, which I teach people how to do. Uh, they do that Tibetan Buddhism too, in some other places, because I want my bishops to be better than any, any other bishops. <laughs> Tony brought a huge storm down when there was a forecast for nothing, you know, on, on New York City. And that was several years ago. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, we do. It's a, it's a place we do esoteric training and we do. Uh, uh, and our focus is on the actual teachings and historical teachings of Yeshua. And so that's why I write these books as for my students. good to hear that you have such a strong formation and training program. I think that's incredibly important. Well, the Catholics get formed too, you know, they get formed into a holy Gregor of thought that is pretty horrible, it's pretty anti-Semitic and anti-feministic and, uh, you know, if you, if you look at some of the ways the papacy responded to the Jews in Europe during Hitler's period, You'd be real happy with the new bishop and the new pope we had. <laughs> He's a, I really am happy with the new pope. The, the one previous to that was, uh, you know, he was basically head of a, a new name they, they came up with for the Inquisition, which is the, what is it, the committee and doc for congregation. Yes, congregation. That's, it's just such doublespeak. I, I always yeah, thought that yeah, was amusing. Yeah. Yeah. Ratzinger, you know, yeah. great name. No, I, I, I actually, you know, Pope Francis is a is a very engaging fellow. I, I've really kind of um, enjoyed. I've actually been more than enjoy. I have been fascinated by his uh, by the media surrounding him. He's he, yeah. he he does kind of fascinate me, and the and the media around him fascinates me. He, um, so yeah, it's he's a he's a fascinating fellow. Well, I do spiritual work every morning to keep him from being assassinated. So, you know. Excellent. <laughs> no, I, 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 I kind of, I, I do say I, I do kind of like the fellow. Yeah. Oh, and he's, he, he's a great person. Uh, but he's still, you know, the trouble with Christianity and the trouble, especially with Roman Catholicism, and obviously with the fundamentalist religions and all that kind of stuff is uh, they, and the thing I like about Francis is that he really believes that the teachings of Jesus, you know, are what should be ruling things. Mm -hmm. And he's right, you know, except that they don't know how to get back to them yet. But there, a lot of Catholic scholars are getting close. Yeah. But when they when they get really close, they're going to find out they're going to end up being Gnostics because it's. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'd be okay. We can show them how to do it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> No, there's a lot about Catholic social teaching that I like. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. 
Quite a bit I like. And it, it's, it's, it, having been spent many years as an, as an evangelical, um, when you have a, a religious system that basically marries capitalism, in some cases some of the worst forms of capitalism, it's always refreshing to see a, a teaching that opposes that from a religious perspective. Well, the Catholic Church, you know, uh, in in the land of the shanties and the mansions, you know, in, in mm -hmm. South America, uh, still has a lot of negative stuff. But sure. uh, the reason that, that this Pope Francis is is so good for the Church is that he is focused on just exactly what you're talking about. I remember when I was doing working in the anti-war movement, and there was, uh, you know, American companies uh, the, the, uh, were sponsoring uh, killers of people who tried to organize unions and things like that in Guatemala, mm -hmm. places like that. And there were Catholic monks I knew, the the Berrigan brothers who worked down there in, the, sure. in that area, and uh, and there were nuns that were killed and Catholic monks that were beaten up and sometimes killed and you know they they they're really great people the, the problem i have is not with catholic social ideas it's it's i think that's wonderful i just don't like the i think the whole business of theology and and the formation that goes into catholic priests that creates a uh, a doctrinal mind you know that says this is this and you must do that for salvation Etc. You know, is is I think a real a real problem. Yeah. And I don't like them because I don't like that they don't let women become priests. But mm -hmm. maybe that's all for the best. <laughs> well, you know, things are going to change. Yeah. Eventually. Uh, yeah. And of course, you know, as you as you pointed out, the Episcopal Church has a. Uh, at least for the time being, a uh, female presiding bishop. So that's changed. And of course, the Anglican Church in um, the UK has finally admitted its first female bishop. Right. Well, you know, and I like the people that I have uh, a lot of contact with in Brazil, Colombia, and uh, Peru, and some people in Chile. Um, they are, uh, they came out of the Catholic tradition, mm -hmm. but they are so open to so many things and you know where you know where uh francis came from most i think uh, something like 80 85 percent of the women use birth control anyway right you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. stuff like that and, and there is i mean there is openness at, at various places i i know of an independent uh catholic bishop i think she was a priest at the time who went to a jesuit university and she was living in the residence halls and she was very open with them when she applied and, and you know, that I, she was an independent Catholic priest and they actually hired her as a chaplain in the residence halls. Well, the Jesuits are, are like that. Uh, you know, yeah. I was involved with a, um, an occult study group in Boston a number of years back and, and we had a Jesuit uh, seminarian, a deacon who came to every meeting. And you know, genu genuinely was interested. I mean, the, the the Jesuits teach a lot of interesting stuff anyway. But, yeah, uh, yeah. This, this but, guy well, actually, used. in the home temple, I've I've had people come to me clandestinely who were Catholic priests, uh, Methodist minister, mm -hmm. and several other you know uh, 
institutional religion people who want to privately study, you know, with me about this kind of stuff. And they, they, their congregations don't know it. And I've actually uh, I've passed on apostolic succession to several people like this. Uh, because, you know, we actually, in the home temple, we have 22 lines of valid succession. And that's one more than the Pope has. Because we have the Gnostic Templar uh, line of succession, which can be traced back to about the 15th century. And then it's, it was all, there are no records because it was too dangerous. You know? uh, so anyway, you know, so, uh, the, and, and, and apostolic lineage is a very powerful esoteric link that, uh, that will affect people's dreams and their experiences and stuff like that. Because, you know, the world is everything, all reality at its root is consciousness. And, uh, Things like that are part of consciousness that are transmitted. We, we've, yeah, we've actually addressed that topic on the show, haven't we, Bishop Canterbury? We have. We absolutely have. Um, I want to sort of go a little back a little bit. Um, Bishop or uh, Bishop Kaiser, you you were talking about this. Uh, particular form of initiatic tradition that that Christ had assigned to his disciples Father Tony had mentioned it before is there any specific literature information that our listeners can can read specifically on the the, the form of mysticism or this initiation that that Christ has self taught well, um, you can learn a lot about Merkaba mysticism. You can study. You can study what the old, uh, uh, what was said by the people uh, in the in the in the in the second century, the Jewish uh, Abbas, the Jewish fathers, and so on, and what was said mm -hmm. about it in other traditions, uh, and that sort of thing. But uh, I'll, I'll say this: what happened after the visions of Yeshua in which he taught people uh, in groups. They were like, uh, you know, we have had visions, group, huge group merit visions of the Virgin Mary. Mm -hmm. And people took photographs of them. And, you know, <laughs> people have had these, you know, it's very amazing what consciousness can do. But um, after those stopped happening, the uh, the disciples in Galilee gathered together at a, at a the only form of sacrament that could be done outside of the temple and that was called a toda it was a it was a thanksgiving feast it was a where you ate you know food you know and and in it they summoned the presence of yeshua their the the invocation was marana tha which is our master come and we know about that from the the didache the early parts of the Didache and Paul transmits it uh, and that was part of the early Jewish Christian thing and what they did is they channeled the teachings new teachings many times new teachings of Yeshua that way and then they got all packed into the Jesus tradition so that you have Jesus supposedly saying while he's still alive and walking around the body saying things like where two or three of you are gathered together in my name there I, there I am in your midst Mm -hmm. which is actually a hermetic, you know, attributed to Hermes Trismegistus and other traditions. But they, there was a lot of channeled 
information. And it was a very big, that was how things proceeded. And that was what probably appealed to the Gentiles more than anything else. And I think Paul's, uh, as you know, women are much better at this than men. Women are much more psychically sensitive. Than They've always been traditionally, uh, uh, you know, mediums and so on. And, um, and I think Paul's stuff about telling the women to be quiet in church, and of course, Paul doesn't quite say that. That's in the, that's in the pseudo-Pauline lit- yeah. literature. That's, that's later. Awesome. But he also uh, had a problem in, in some of the authentic ones. And I think it's because when they had their meetings, they got together, the, the Gentile Christians did it as an agape feast. And by the way, in all those things, they were using leavened, they were using unleavened bread. Mm-hmm. In fact, even in the stories of the, of the supposedly the Last Supper being a Passover meal, which would be impossible for it to have been, it was not. But uh, they they talk about artos, which is un, uh, which is leavened bread being used, you know, in the ceremony. That's not what you do at Passover, folks. You use unleavened bread. Mm-hmm. But uh, but they they ate a meal, and then and then Paul gave him hell for having too much fun at the meal, and he said you've got to treat it like a sacrament, no matter. But the but at the meal there would be a prophet who would channel. And you can read in the, Did- the Didache about, you know, what the traditions were of that and so on. And there, what the, where the whole business of false prophets came from and how you distinguish between false and true prophets and everything. And there were a lot of wandering prophets that went from community to community. And the, the rules were eventually they could only stay three days. <laughs> and uh, if, if they asked for money, no good, you know. But uh, I think his admonitions about the women to remain silent in church because there were so many women that were channeling that it was getting wild. And then also Paul himself, you know, this business of uh, supposedly channeling in, in angelic tongues and foreign tongues and so on. Uh, glossolalia, which is a phenomenon that occurs in all kinds of tribal situations. And, things. and Paul says, don't do that. I would rather speak five words with my noose, which is my higher consciousness than babble a thousand in tongues, you know. Uh, but I think that's the kind of thing that he was concerned about. Uh, I don't think he was an anti-feminist. It's in his authentic epistles, almost 40% of the people he addresses as church leaders are women. Yep. By the time the, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke are written, no church leaders are women. Uh, the Holy Spirit, which is feminine, the role HaKodesh, has become a neuter spirit, the uh, pnamahagium. And then by the time Jerome translates it into Latin, it becomes a spirit of sanctus, a masculine <laughs> being, you know. Uh, and it's already that way uh, in, in John's gospel when he talks about the paraplatos, which is a masculine form. But that may be because that tradition comes out of uh, traditions of channeling Yeshua rather than uh, you know, the, the Holy Spirit. We're, uh, we're closing in on our, our end time here. Uh, we were talking between the recordings that you, you're working on a book and you've got some other stuff on your plate. Can you tell us what's, uh, what you got going on? Well, I just, uh, the, the, <clears throat> the book that apparently you saw, which was the Kabbalistic, uh, uh words of, Jesus and the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, that was p- 
part of preparation for what I've done now. I've done an exhaustive uh, collection of all the teachings of Yeshua, which were given in Devarim. A Devar is a prophetic statement that can only really be understood very well by one's own close disciples. And in Mashalim, a Mashal is not a parable, as they're called in the New Testament, which was a Greek form uh, where things where X corresponded to Y and A corresponded to B and all that is like an allegory. A Mashal that Yeshua used when he said, for example, the Malkuth, that is the reign or the sovereignty of the heavens, is like blah. Uh, there's lots and lots of these things that are authentic or that have authentic roots, even from the Gospel of John, which most scholars say, well, there's nothing, no real words of Jesus can be found in the Gospel of John. But in fact, the teachings can be found because a lot of those sermons are sermons that he gave about the Bar Inash, about the, the Christ. And the Christ, remember, is not one person. The Christ is a new humanity, the second Adam. The Christ is a body of all the saints. Uh, and Paul and Paul correctly gets that, but he calls it the church, Ecclesia. Um, so anyway, this is a book that I've just now published, and I've, uh, a lot of my students have pre-ordered it. It's called The Pre-Christian Teachings of Yeshua, and it's uh, all the teachings that can be found, and I've uh, done work on it, interpreting them as Aramaic, uh, as they would have been in Aramaic. That's very interesting. When do you think that would be available? Well, it'll be available after I put it up on Kindle in about a week. Oh, okay. <laughs> great. I put all my stuff on as ebooks for, for $9.99. Uh, and then when I do my workshops, I, I sell my print books to my own students for 20 bucks. If the book costs me 12 or 13 in order to, to print, I make a little bit of a profit that I that I feedback into new books, you know, publishing sure. new books. And so and I, I, I will become to New York uh, sometime later this year with a, I have a group of people that sponsor me there and then I give workshops and things and uh, probably will be in Asheville as well. Uh, I've been oh. invited to do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping to go to that, uh, but we'll see how the finances work out. Yeah. Yeah. They do a good, they do a good, uh, conference down there. Well, I the, the, the guy who organized it, the, the main bishop, uh, is a fellow that I exchanged lines with because he had been kind of uh, thrown under the bus by his uh, Celtic, the Scottish Celtic uh, independent denomination. And so I went down there and did a whole week of teachings for his clergy and all kinds of things. And then we exchanged uh, lineages so he could have a valid one and then pass it on that nobody could criticize. So, yeah, he's a wonderful guy and they have nice people down there like him. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I uh, I went down there last summer. Was it last summer? Yeah, I guess it was. And No, two summers ago, not this past summer. And um, they have the Independent Sacramental Movement Family Reunion down there and, and they <laughs> and, um, and it, it, there weren't there weren't a whole lot of us, but uh, those of us who were there had a good time. I, I decided I would camp, 
So I brought my little backpacking tent, and it was just torrential rain the entire time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm hoping for better weather for the next time around. <laughs> well, I know that the that the, uh, the the event in November. There's a lot of talk about a lot of excitement. They got some good speakers, and um, I know there's going to be a group of us from from my parish here in Chicago heading out. So I'm hoping to see a lot of people there. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure whether I'm going to be there in November. I have to be in Peru in November, oh. but um, I sort of, I sort of thought they were doing this gathering, this this these workshops that they were doing, having several people somewhere in June or something like that, or July or something. I always thought it was November, but I'll, we'll double check on that. Okay. It's on Facebook somewhere, but they, they, oh. they do regular stuff there too, as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, then, uh, then let's wrap it up because uh, we're about our time here. And uh, thank you once again, Bishop Kaiser, for joining yes. us. Thank you very much. It's been super, fascinating. Oh, yeah, super interesting topic, and uh, I hope that we get some comments on our uh, on our on our page, our webpage about it, uh, which you can do by going to gnosticwisdom.net/tgad, and you can leave comments there. You can leave comments on our Facebook page uh, for the Talk Gnosis Facebook page and all that stuff. Um, anybody want to shoot out any parting thoughts? Before we go, well, I just I'll just say that on my Facebook page, which is well, I have two, but one I'm really active on is my own personal one, Louis Kaiser. Uh, is I'll put uh, I'll tell people when the uh, the inexpensive version of my latest book is up on Kindle for nine ninety nine, and uh, they can get what they want. Great. I'm a big fan of, of ebooks. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Yeah, the problem is you keep buying ebooks and then you, you never end up reading all of them. But what <laughs> can you do? Yeah. All right then. Uh, well, thanks once again, and and thank you to our hosts for doing a great job again, and thank you to Jonathan for putting all of this together as per yes. usual. Uh, we, we got a we got a good compliment from uh, from my uh, my church's patriarch about uh, the great work that Jonathan's been doing. So. Yeah, he does awesome work. Yeah. He really helps out a lot. Yeah. Absolutely. Added a lot to the shows. Definitely, definitely. All right, then. For those of you listening along at home, we'll see you next week. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good night, everyone. This has been a production of the Gnostic Wisdom Network. For more information about this and all of GWN's programming, please visit GnosticWisdom.net. The opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of GWN, the Apostolic Joannite Church, or any other organization. This has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License and is brought to you by the generous support of our patrons. To support our programs and become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash gnostic. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash g-n-o-s-t-i-c.